Hello and welcome to another podcast of U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. This is Jimmy LaSalle. In this podcast, we are going to talk about the stock market crash of 1929. And with us, as always, is our resident history expert, Gene Antonakis. Jeannie, take it away. All right. So before we can get into the stock market crash, we need to talk a little bit about the decade before it. In the 1920s, life seemed to be on the upswing. The Great War was over. The economy was booming. The worst of the great influenza seemed to be behind us. Jobs were plentiful. Women gained the right to vote. Jazz and swing were all the rage. New innovations like the radio, automobile, electric appliances, they all seemed to be making life easier. The 1920s came roaring in, but by the end of the decade, the United States and the world would plunge into the worst economic crisis in history. The stock market crash of 1929, along with other factors, would usher in what we call the Great Depression. In the post-World War I era, jobs were plentiful and people were making money. Most were not making big money by any means, but certainly enough to feel as though they were living well. Stories of the stock market and some people striking it rich by purchasing stocks encouraged others to try their hand on Wall Street as well. The phrase playing the stock market is often thrown around. If you're reckless and don't care what happens to your investment, by all means, play the stock market. But it is far better to study the stock market, research companies, their products, their earnings, do your due diligence, and then by all means, invest in the stock market. A stock is a share of a publicly traded company. A stock exchange is a physical or digital, once the internet came along, basically a place for stocks to be bought and sold. The price of a stock is based on supply and demand. The first modern stock market was founded in Amsterdam. The Philadelphia Stock Exchange is the oldest stock exchange in the United States. It was founded in 1790 and originally named the Board of Brokers of Philadelphia. After a series of mergers over its history, it is now known as the PHLX. A stock exchange is essentially a marketplace where stocks are bought and sold. The most famous stock exchange is located in New York City on Wall Street. So if the oldest one was in Philadelphia, tell us a little bit about how the one on Wall Street became the most famous. So on May 17th, 1792, 24 businessmen and leading merchants signed an agreement that would become known as the Buttonwood Tree Agreement. The agreement was named after the tree where the first stocks had been sold on Wall Street. This document is considered one of the most important financial documents in U.S. history. Within the document, they agreed to only do business or trade with each other and basically set a standard for charging commission to clients. At that point, it was 0.25%. The agreement came about after the economic panic of 1792. The hope is that it would reestablish trust and confidence in the industry. The members at first met at a coffee house, of all places. By 1817, they created the New York Stock and Exchange Board. Individuals could become members of the board by purchasing a seat. Seat prices were determined by supply and demand and by the strength of the U.S. economy. At first, the price was $4,000. 
At the height of the 1920s, the price climbed up to $625,000. Holy smokes, do you know what that is in today's money? What would that be in today's money? So if it was 625000 in 1925, let's pick the halfway point thing. The value of that today in 2023 is over $10,722,000. So think about you know just how people valued that seat at that time in history. It was probably they thought it was probably a uh, license to print money, right? Because well, everything kept going well, up. That's the how people looked. They looked at it as a way to really strike it rich, kind of like finding oil in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. After the market crashed in 1929, the price plummeted to sixty-eight thousand dollars, and by the end of the Great Depression, one could purchase a seat for seventeen thousand dollars. It's a very big difference. The last listed price for a seat before the New York Stock Exchange became a public company was just under $4 million. So you can see over the course of history how the price of those seats fluctuated. Once meeting at a coffee house or on different floors of other exchanges, the New York Stock Exchange got their own home on Wall Street. Wall Street got its name from Dutch settlers in the 1600s who built an earthen wall to prevent a British invasion and to protect them from pirates. The invasion didn't come, but the name stuck. The stock exchange got a home of its own at 18 Broad Street in 1903. The original building was designed by a man by the name of George Post, and it's magnificent. As the exchange grew, more buildings were acquired and connected. The financial district in New York City encompasses three major streets. You have Wall Street, Broad Street, and Exchange Place. In addition to the New York Stock Exchange, there was also the New York Curb Market, which goes on to become known as the American Stock Exchange. Across the United States, you have about 20 different stock exchanges. In terms of this particular topic, there are certain terms you need to know when discussing the stock market. A stock represents a fractional ownership of equity in an organization. Then you have something called a share. A share is a piece of a company's stock. Once you own a percentage of a company's stock, you become known as a shareholder. Some, some other terms that, that I wanted to share as well, you know, you have bulls and bears. You hear about that all the time. Bulls are people that think the market is going to go up or the prices are going to go up. And bears are ones that thinks that the price are going to go down. So if you hear bull market, bear market, that means either prices are going up, prices are going down. And there's an old adage, bulls make money, bears make money, it's dead slaughtered. You, know, you don't want to be in there for too long on one way or another. You pig, you get slaughtered, right? That's where that kind of came from. And then there are other terms like, you know, you have options, you have derivatives, you have commodities. There's a whole commodities market, which is where you trade oil and pork bellies and soy and all these other things. And then you have options trading, which I mentioned before, which are options to buy. There's a lot of stuff you really want to read up on this, but we're going to try to keep to the the basics here with Gene, right? Yeah. When talking about how people look at the stock market, there are certain tools that they use to measure it. And so one of the most famous is probably the Dow Jones Industrial Average. This was created in 1896 by two financial reporters, Charles Dow and Edward Jones, who followed the 12 largest companies in every sector of the U.S. stock market. Today, it tracks 30 blue chip stocks. A blue chip stock is a large, well-established company. Think Coca-Cola, IBM, Disney. The index helps to provide a picture 
of the overall health of the stock market. The second most followed index is the S&P 500. This index began in 1957 and follows 500 companies. It tracks the performance of the top 500 companies. They track the market capitalization or the market cap, which is the total value of all shares of stock that a company has issued. The companies on the index are selected by a committee. Factors such as liquidity, size, and industry are all taken into account. Each company has to meet a certain criteria. They have to be a U.S. company, a market cap of at least $13.1 billion, 50% of stock available to the public. Stock price has to be more than $1 per share. They have to file a 10K report, which is basically an annual comprehensive report that details its financial performance. And 50% of revenue and profits must be in the United States. So a committee selects each of the index's 500 corporations based on their liquidity, size, and industry. It rebalances the index quarterly in March, June, September, and December. As rules change, companies grow or shrink. New companies are added and some are removed. Philip Murphy is the current head of the committee, but the other members' identities are kept secret. For the majority of the 1920s, stock prices soared. The values of stocks were inflated. Throughout the 1920s, people purchased stocks in rather unorthodox ways. The level of involvement in the stock market in the 1920s was unprecedented. It was very much a fad. People were trying their luck at striking it rich in the stock market. People were purchasing stocks on installment plans, stocks via investment clubs, stocks bought with capital rather than income, and buying stocks on margin. Buying on margin means that you could put up as little as 10% of the price in cash and then borrow the rest. Now, if your stock decreases in value and the loan is called in, you most likely cannot pay it back. Buying stocks became one of the many new fads of the 1920s. During the 1920s, the stock market was considered a bull market, which Jim mentioned that term earlier. A bull market tends to be associated with increasing investor confidence, motivating investors to buy in anticipation of future price increases and future capital gains. The opposite is known as a bear market. This is when there is a steady drop in the stock market over a period of time. It is accompanied by widespread pessimism. Investors anticipating further losses are often motivated to sell with negative sentiment feeding on itself in a vicious cycle. The most famous bear market in history followed the 1929 stock market crash. Now, there were attempts to stop a total collapse. The reaction of the Federal Reserve to the bull market, for example, they lowered the rediscount rate in 1927 and purchased government securities on the open market. By 1928, the Federal Reserve kept raising the rediscount rate. The hope was that this increase in rate would slow down or stop speculators from borrowing money to buy stocks. It did not have the intended effect people were willing to take out loans at any amount. The Federal Reserve also went as far as issuing a statement that their Federal Reserve money shouldn't be given out in the form of loans for speculative purposes. Non-Federal Reserve banks offered up loans and people just kept on buying. That is a recipe for disaster. And it was. 
So you have some Wall Street and banking titans who stepped in to try to prevent a total collapse. People like Charles E. Mitchell, Albert H. Wiggin, they both agreed to put up millions of dollars apiece to try to save the stock market from a total collapse. They purchased stocks and key companies hoping to shore up confidence in the market and prevent a full-blown panic from taking place. Their efforts would slow the selling, but it wouldn't have the impact the men hoped it would have or could have. The stock market frenzy also led to two meetings of the Federal Reserve with then-Secretary of the Treasury Andrew Mellon, even sitting in on the meeting to discuss what to do. By the next day, reporters were clamoring for President Hoover to make a statement about the activity on the stock exchange. President for less than a year and a brilliant businessman, the speculation of the stock market concerned him, and he asked for newspaper editors to write articles about the dangers of speculation, even as far back as when he was, before he was president, when he was, you know, the Secretary of Commerce. But a crash came nonetheless. When people talk of the stock market crash, the date that is always discussed is October 29th, 1929. The truth is there are these, you know, ominous rumbles that are starting to be heard as far back as August and September. In the days just before Black Tuesday, panic starts to set in. On October 24th, people started selling stocks at whatever they could get them for. For those who bought on margin, as stock prices fell, loans were called in. People had to put more money up to keep their stocks. You have people going to banks, going to pawn shops, selling whatever they could for whatever they could, accepting loans against items that were worth way more than what they were getting, and with very little possibility of being able to repay that loan and get their money back. More than 650 banks failed by 1929 and well over 1,300 by 1930. Banks were not insured like they are today. When the banks didn't have money and started to call in loans that people were unable to pay back, the banks failed. October 29th, 1929 is known as Black Tuesday. Some historians called the crash necessary. It was basically an end to this orgy of reckless speculation. On Pigs this, get slaughtered. Yep. On this day, 16 million shares were traded and billions of dollars just vanished. I don't know that the dollars actually vanished. I think the bears made a lot of money. It didn't just disappear. Well, you have these stock prices that are inflated and what people thought they were worth, they just simply weren't. Right. So when when people short a stock... You know, they're selling it at the higher price and then they're buying it back when it goes all the way down and that is still their profit. It's the same thing as buying low and selling high. You're just doing it in the opposite way. It's very dangerous to do that because in theory, there's an infinite number that a stock can go up, but it can only go down to zero, right? So bears try to make their money on the way down to zero. So the stock market is like a net neutral equation. So if someone lost money, that means someone else made money. So- after the stock market crashes, Herbert Hoover is president, and he believes in a limited government in terms of how much responsibility the federal government held over the lives of U.S. citizens. He didn't believe it was the government's responsibility to provide direct relief. As Coolidge's Secretary of Commerce, he did try to warn against the wildly rampant speculation. As I mentioned earlier, he gave numerous interviews. He encourages editors to educate the masses. The warnings weren't heeded. 
He encouraged industrialists to maintain wages and for labor leaders to kind of quell demands for higher wages. He didn't think this was going to become the massive economic collapse it became. He believed, as did many other experts at the time, that this would pass. After all, there had been numerous economic panics throughout history, some pretty bad, but this one was different. It's easy for us to say now, but at the time, no one really knew just how difficult things would get. Hoover requested an investigation into the stock market crash in 1932 after learning of a scheme to lower stock prices. Those would have been the bears. Yes. Smoot-Hawley tariff. Now, this was a tax on imported goods. Import taxes were already high before this law went into place. It was passed to protect American businesses and especially American farmers by making the import tax, in some cases, close to 40%. Then you have the Senate Banking and Currency Committee. They investigated the events leading up to the stock market crash. It was known as the PCORA investigation. It exposed the abusive practices in the financial industry, and it led to calls for stricter regulations. The most high-profile bankers and stockbrokers were all interviewed. The investigation led to the passage of the 1933 Securities Act, and this set penalties for filing false information about stocks. The Securities and Exchange Act of 1934 was also passed. This created the SEC, which regulated stock exchanges. In 1934, the Securities and Exchange Commission was created to restore the public's trust in capital markets. It is an independent federal regulatory agency. The SEC attempts to prevent future market meltdowns. Brokerage firms, dealers, investment advisors, they all must register with the SEC in order to conduct business. They also ensure that investors are provided with accurate information and promote full transparency. FDR, when he becomes president, confounded partisans by appointing a man by the name of Joseph P. Kennedy as one of the SEC's first five commissioners and insisting that the group designate Kennedy as chairman. Two men had become friends during World War I. FDR was assistant secretary of the Navy, and Kennedy was manager of the Bethlehem Steel Company. Kennedy, over the course of his years of experience in business dealings, had profited significantly from financial manipulation. He worked at Wall Street brokerage firms, learning how to master the market, and even opened up his own brokerage firm. He increased his personal wealth by partaking in the very same practices, while technically legal, they were certainly corrupt practices that would go on to cause the stock market crash in 1929. He was a match for the crooked bigwigs of Wall Street, and he understood how to balance the interests of the masses with protecting the essential components of the financial markets. Today, the SEC ensures regulations are followed and works with the Justice Department to bring charges against individuals who have broken the law. Two famous people the SEC have gone after are Martha Stewart and Bernie Madoff. So just to go back to the Joe Kennedy appointment, he kind of rigged the game in his favor and they wanted to utilize his knowledge in order to make sure that people couldn't do what he did and they made that illegal going forward, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, the the thought process is sometimes it takes a criminal to catch a criminal, right? If you Very know true. what you could do, you know how to maybe potentially stop it. Mm -hmm. When the stock market crashed, investors were driven out of the market. How do you get them back? Well, that would take some time for sure. The stock market crash was not the sole cause of the Great Depression. It was caused by a series of economic weaknesses. Globally, there are these very same problems happening worldwide. If we're going to look at the causes, you have to consider the following issues. The fact that the working class received the smallest amount of the productivity of the 1920s. It caused a significant wage and class gap within the United States. The end of World War I and lack of demand for American-made products and especially American-grown crops. The decrease in demand hurt American farmers. When the Depression hit the rest of the country, American farmers had been hurting for years already. The biggest issue was that the banks were uninsured. People who had worked and saved and put their money in the bank saw their life savings wiped out. They had played it safe. They, their money was gone. The war was over. There wasn't a high demand for workers. Companies could cut wages. As companies were hurt by the economic collapse, they let more people go. And before you know it, you have millions and millions of people who are unemployed. So now there were other stock market crashes after that. You had the one in uh, 1987, Black Monday. You had um, the Great Recession in 2008. I would even go back to 2000, even though that was that was more of a bubble bursting, like the tech bubble, the dot-com bubble. The coronavirus crash of 2020, where the stock market went down because of the panic of everything closing. It kind of ran up quite significantly into 2021, which caused yet another bubble, apparently just the same type of speculation that you had in 1929, you had in late 2020 and 2021 as people were home and they were following the stock market and they started investing and taking their, their government money and putting that into the stock market and that drove up stock. And all of that speculation will always cause some kind of a crash because the smart people know that the valuations are out of whack and that's when the bears will start to short stocks which puts pressure on it goes down and then if you're taking loans or, or buying things on margin that's where people got in trouble in 1929 they got in trouble in 2020 they get in trouble in 1987 all of these things were caused by speculation so as warren buffett would say be greedy when people are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy and Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com, and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.